we had a question this week in our daily live support chats, which had to do with with sleep deprivation and hunger and and why when I don't get a good night's sleep, am I just so freaking ravenous the next day? And Kevin and I both took a shot at answering this, and neither one of us were super confident in our answers. So I, I thought, man, this would be a great, great research review to to dig into and, and find some of the ancillary um, you know, components to this, because we both ended up being right. If, if you remember my response, I thought it was the misinterpretation of hunger cues just because of the fatigue. And so you know, something is happening there, but I'm not sure exactly what. And then Kevin stepped up and said, you know, cortisol has to be a big player. And I thought, oh, that's totally it. Like mic drop moment, problem solved. But even though we were both right, there is uh, there, there's a lot more to the story. And in some ways, I think this is going to be the most straightforward research review we ever do because it's so freaking conclusive and it's so dramatic on, on how sleep affects weight loss. Uh, but at the same time, there there have been a lot of studies, that, and there's a lot of depth to what we can look at. So let's uh, let's dig in, and I want to I want to show you that I, I looked at two individual studies just to kind of pick out and give you a small representation of why I think this this matters more than anything in terms of our weight loss. It, it is truly probably one of the most foundational things you could do or not do to either succeed or sabotage your success. But then I also looked at a meta-analysis that uh, I, I think it, I think it did a pretty fair job. I would almost consider it more of a review than a comprehensive meta-analysis. But they did look at at close to 250 different studies, and I think they did a good job of creating some categories of of what to look for, the different mechanisms of action for what happens when we are sleep deprived. So this this first particular study, which was funded by the NIH just looked at, you know, what's actually happening. And so I, I thought this, this gave a pretty good peek under the hood in terms of, of, you know, more of a functional thing, because you can, you can look epidemiologically and say, okay, we're going to do this sleep lab study and we're going to look at what's happening to, you know, all the hormones and peptides and, and get all the, the, the blood glucose measurements and all that. But it also does help just to see, okay, if we do this study, like who's losing weight and who's not, like what are some of those functional perspectives? And so it, it was a little bit of a small study, but it was a crossover study. So they, they tested people both in a full sleep mode and sleep deprivation. And, and I thought, you know, for what they were looking at, it's, I think it's pretty decent to do a 14 day study. So they kept them in a, in a, you know, sleep cycle that long, and you were either getting eight and a half hours of sleep or five and a half hours of sleep. And so it wasn't just an acute, like one night of sleep deprivation, what happens? Although some of those studies do show some pretty amazing things on just that acute level. But, um, you know, what, what they found is uh, a, a 50 5% decrease in your ability to lose body fat just by, by having a 14-day stretch of, of sleep deprivation, meaning five and a half hours of sleep. And, and I don't know about you guys, but in the last 20 to 30 years, they have shown that the average human being is sleeping about an hour and a half, two hours less every night chronically. So I know an awful lot of people who think, man, if I get five, five and a half hours of sleep a night, you know, that's pretty good. That'll, that'll at least get me through to the weekend where I can get one good night's sleep and catch up. Well, this is a pretty big uh, change here in terms of how much body fat you're losing. And so 
with a study like this, now I think it's it's appropriate to to look deeper and say, okay, you know why? Because tr- truly, even though it was 14 days and they showed such a marked difference, you could also say it's it's only 14 days. And so when you're looking at a change of you know 1.4 kilograms versus 0.6, you even though you could extrapolate that out mathematically as far as you want. You know, would it really happen after 28 days or three months or six months? There, there's actually some evidence that your body does adapt a little bit. And, and some things like glucose disposal can start to stabilize. And so your body almost does get used to some chronic deprivation, but never to the point where you would say, oh, that's all I need to do is get my body conditioned to less sleep and I'm okay. You know, definitely, definitely not. But uh, let, me, let me show you just something of a, of a second study when they were also looking at some of the metabolic consequences. So now they're looking inside to some of those blood chemistry uh, markers. And, and some of the key things they showed were in this, when I, when I surmised or predicted that some of the hunger that people feel after sleep deprivation would be to misinterpreting signals of hunger, it's actually not misinterpreting. It's it's real hunger because the there's a massive leptin and ghrelin gap that increases with sleep deprivation. So if you remember, or maybe this is new to you, leptin is a is a key hormone as ghrelin is in in weight loss because leptin is is released, uh, you know, to to tell your body that you're full, so that you're sated, stop eating, hunger should go down. Ghrelin is released to increase hunger. So these are the kind of two opposing hormones that, that control that. But as, as Kevin mentioned, cortisol is also disrupted, which I'll show you a little bit more detail of later. Growth hormone, which is a major player in weight loss. And then even things like glucose regulation, lipid regulation, uh, thyroid, uh, uh, just everything, you know, epinephrine, norepinephrine. Every single player from top to bottom when it comes to to hormones is completely obliterated when you're in sleep deprivation. And some of these numbers are freaky when you look at at some of the drops. So finally, let me me get into the meta-analysis because that's where we can more categorically look at at what researchers have found overall. Um, so a little bit more narrative just to kind of get through. I'm going to read some of this. Uh, it can be related to the increase of ghrelin and decrease of leptin levels, generating an increase in appetite and hunger. Sleep loss has been closely associated with problems of glucose metabolism and high risk for development of insulin resistance and diabetes. And uh, one of the things, I almost put a chart of this up here because I had some, some good graphics. But if you remember, the hypothalamus is what really controls a lot of hunger. And so those cues just almost right at that brainstem level uh, it's, it's meaning it's, it's just autonomic. It, it, it it's just going to happen. It's not like you can will yourself out of this. This is, this is the drive to survive. And, and so, you know, very much, um, impacted by adrenaline as, as you see there in the pituitary adrenaline axis. And so that's why, if you remember all the way back in one of the research reviews that I showed on the mechanics of fat loss, those catecholamine hormones, adren- or the uh, epinephrine, norepinephrine, were the absolute biggest players in body fat loss. And, and this is one of the key components when we are, are sleep deprived. 
So let me let me get into some of the things that I saw, you know, just kind of picking through and reading through a lot of their conclusions that I that I think paint a a good picture. So this uh, this leptin and ghrelin gap, interestingly, increases in the afternoon and evening. So they had a chart, uh, a kind of a mathematical representation that showed after a certain amount of days of sleep deprivation, this gap starts to increase. And so you're getting hungrier. You have less and less feelings of satiety, more and more, uh, you know, feelings of hunger. And it seems to kind of peak in the afternoon and evening. So, you know, shocking that we all, you know, tell each other that, man, I, I do fine all day until evening. And then I'm, I'm, you know, having these cravings. And one of the interesting things is it's if you guys who have been in a calorie deficit for contest prep or just for your own body composition change, you know, if things are going well, if you feel great, you can you can tell the different kinds of hunger you feel. Like sometimes there's just that massive hypoglycemia. You feel so depleted, weak, shaky. Other times you don't feel that at all, but you just feel empty. Your stomach is growling and you're so hungry. Well, when you have this leptin and ghrelin gap, people tend to report more feelings of just that that snacky hunger where they just want to keep nibbling and eat something sweet or salty, where there are times if you just if you're dieting and your blood sugar levels are stable, your, you know, catecholamine hormones, your thyroid stimulating hormone, everything else is just pretty normal leptin ghrelin are at normal appropriate levels. You just feel like, man, I really want my next meal. Like I just like a, 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 some steak and rice would be fantastic right now, or a big salmon salad or something like that just sounds great. But when you're in that, that sleep deprived state where you're just groggy and you feel like just total ass, you just want to keep grabbing sweet and salty snacks all day. Like you just want to keep nibbling on that. And, and that's because of that, that leptin ghrelin gap. It's not necessarily, you know, just, just the fact that you're empty or hungry or need food, no matter how much food you eat, you're going to, you're going to keep feeling those cravings because that gap just doesn't close as long as you're in a sleep deficit. So another thing that I thought was interesting, they, they actually showed kids, um, you know, as young as a couple years old, that, that if they had disrupted sleep cycles and they were chronically not allowed to sleep, they, they had a higher chance of obesity. Um, and some of the initial studies that got me interested in this showed that like people who just sleep five hours or less every night have a 68% higher rate of obesity. And there, there are some interesting chicken or egg type scenarios that, that they're investigating. Like what if, you know, if, first of all, if, if you're just obese or, you know, you're, you're not, um, you know, somebody genetically predisposed to being a lean ectomorph, maybe you naturally just don't sleep as well. And that creates that vicious cycle. So which is coming first, but certainly wherever your genetic propensity lies, you can compare your own behavior and feelings when you're, when you're well-rested versus sleep deprived. Um, another interesting thing is for, and, and I think this, you, you'll, you'll immediately think, oh yeah, I, I totally see that in myself. For every hour of sleep you lose, your your physical activity decreases by three percent. Meaning you're you're neat, non-exercise activity. You're just you're just not moving. You're just tired. You're sitting down all the time. You just don't feel like moving. 
And again, another vicious cycle is created. And that's why the epinephrine and norepinephrine and inactivity has everything to do with your ability to get lean and stay lean. You know, that's, that's one of the, the conclusions we saw in one of the research reviews. Um, I, I did see that most of the studies done for some reason, they, they kind of pick comparing five to eight hours or five and a half to eight and a half, somewhere in that range. Uh, a couple studies have done things going as low as like four hours of sleep a night, you know, for a few nights to see what happens. Some studies would just say like, Hey, let, what happens if we keep people up for 48 hours? You know, just one, one night, just, just take out an entire night of sleep and see how they function the next day. See what happens with, with blood chemistry. But in, in those five, you know, compared to eight hour sleep cycles, it seems like the, the big sledgehammer impact, the, the leptin ghrelin gap is a, is a pretty phenomenal thing, you know, 20 to 30% change from normal. That's, that's not small in, in biology or research. If you could show a couple percent and your P values, okay, a good N number, you got, you know, double blind, random crossover studies, all that kind of thing. Like you're looking for something of significance. When you see something like this, an average of 25 or so percent, I mean, you know, the study's over, like that is as con conclusive as it gets. So another thing, moving beyond those particular hormones that control hunger, uh, just absolute glucose metabolism. So some of the some of the studies that just look more from survey research and they show that, hey, whoever is sleeping less has a higher rate of obesity. Uh, it is, again, unbelievably profound in that just from one night of missed sleep, you can have an increase in 17% uh, in your blood sugar counts the next day and a almost 50% increase in circulating insulin meaning your body is just screwed and doing everything because of those disruptions and all of those interplaying, um, you know, complexities hormonally, uh, just trying to, you know, almost when I, when I said, you know, just, just thinking through this, when, when I was, uh, you know, asked this week, I, I said, I think it has a lot to do with how your body interprets hunger. This, this is where that comes from. I mean, think of those kinds of unstable blood sugar levels now because your body under sleep deprivation is just not as good at glucose disposal. You're going to have a lot of those cues in your body. But again, it's not just that you, you know, from a, a quote mind perspective, like, like your perception being, oh, I, I feel tired, so maybe I need to eat. Again, it's driven by that leptin and ghrelin miscue. It's driven by the fact that your insulin and blood sugar is just, just not working normally. So you're not getting proper uh, blood glucose disposal. Uh, and then here is where cortisol increases again. So now you have those feelings of fight or flight and stress and anxiety, which, which increases hunger. Uh, growth hormone, again, is kind of a master hormone when it comes to body fat loss, and, and that's disrupted substantially. Um, lipid metabolism decline. So your ability to actually burn body fat as energy that is, is declining. And then thyroid stimulating hormone, even just a, a twofold disruption with sleep. I mean, you could not have a bigger, perfect storm. When I, when I say this is going to be like the easiest, just shut, you know, open and closed shut case on, on any research review we ever do. It's because we're not 
picking through a haystack looking for a needle to see, okay, what is the mechanism? What is the one thing we have to look at and change in sleep deprivation? It affects everything. And so this is probably when you look at this entire cascade of effect, it, it's why sleep deprivation is, is one of the absolute biggest factors and variables in things like cancer and so forth. I mean, your body is absolutely just not functioning well with any level of sleep deprivation. Let me, uh, I think I missed something here unless I just forgot to, to write it down. Um, where was it? Maybe I did forget to write it down. Oh, no, the very first thing there. Um, so some of these functions like glucose metabolism and lipid metabolism, uh, they actually peak in the final stages of sleep, the last couple of hours. So when you look at different cycles of sleep, it's only when you get to that sixth, seventh, eighth hour of sleep where your body now, for lack of a better phrase, just kind of sets you up for a good day. That's when your body, because, you know, because of the, the, the rhythms of your sleep cycle, the circadian rhythm, as well as how long now you have been in a sleeping fasted state, those final two to three hours are the entire money shot, the mother load of your body setting itself up perfectly for hormonal uh, function the next day. And so even if somebody says, okay, well, you know, I'm not a good sleeper. I, I get three or four hours and then I, you know, maybe take a nap later in the day and I get another hour here or there. It, it just ain't going to work. You really have to have a, a really solid night's sleep because again, because of the, the hypothalamus and its control of the circadian rhythm and, and its connection to your retina, perceiving light and so forth, you need to be in a deeper sleep and really reach those later stages or, or you're going to still see all this disruption. So as I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open this up kind of early. I don't have much more to present than that because it was just so conclusive. Uh, but I, I do have the meta-analysis pulled up on another laptop here in case somebody has any questions that, that we need to look up. But any, any thoughts or comments on this, just going through it with a, a pretty broad brush here? I think we should all just go take a nap. Go ahead, Kevin. I'll jump in before the dogs start snoring too loudly. Um, it's not all surprising. It's We have those clients that, are, that will struggle and they're carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders and it's, it's having that hard conversation with them at times, or it's not necessarily anything wrong with nutrition, although yes, consistency could be an issue, but it's more or less just slow down, take that time, rest, make that the priority more so than anything else, because you would hope if that's taken care of, everything else should be certainly will come easier in the least, but you would hope everything else will fall into place with that said, because Cognitively, they'll be in a better place. They'll have better concentration, focus, energy, uh, and just decision-making altogether. So it's not all surprising how important and benign and mundane getting quality sleep is, and yet no one gives a shit about it or doesn't think it's that big of a deal when it's obviously a, a vital thing that we all need to recover and live with. And it's just perplexing how it's just not that taking that seriously. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm glad you backed up to that, that point in the conversation, Kevin, because I, I have to say that it, 
probably took me this long, like 30 years into my career to care about it as much. Because as you said with a client, I mean, imagine a young mother, imagine somebody who's, you know, speaking of the way of the world, you know, has to work two jobs to feed the family and, and all this stuff happening. I'm somebody who would always say, you know, rest when you're dead. I got to get this done. You know, if I have to work 18 hours a day, I'll work 18 hours a day. But what I have found is that in the last few years, it's just totally not worth it. I mean, that that feeling the next day when you can't, you're just not sharp. You're, you're not giving your, your work, your clients, your family, anybody the best you can give. There, there, are, there are so many more times now where I'll just say, I'm, I just have to stop. I am not done for the day. Like I, I could keep working. I just have to stop because if I can get a solid seven hours of sleep, I, I will get all of this work done tomorrow and it will be far better quality. But if I just keep grinding and, and some of you guys, you know, you get email from me at, at midnight, Mike Poe, the other night, even emailed me and said, you better not answer this tonight. Um, you know, and yeah, I'm, I'm much more prone, especially now that I've flipped my schedule where I wake up at four 30 or five in the morning every day. Now it's like, man, you know, in bed at nine o'clock lights out at 10. And I used to be somebody who would just sit there and keep working till midnight or one. It's a good but, life. Yeah. Yeah. I've Welcome. Yeah. I'm officially, I guess that makes me like a, a senior citizen. I'll, I'll, I'll be eating dinner at four o'clock in the afternoon. That's me too. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Any, any other uh, comments on that? Winnell's reaching for the mute. Yeah. So, you, you know, this is a tough, tough, tough uh, subject for me. Like, you know, I've been fighting through insomnia for quite some time, but yeah. just like you said, I mean, like you have to know when to, cut it off right i mean ideally like for me if i can stop work at five like fred flintstone sliding down the dinosaur right mm -hmm. but that's really difficult right there's a lot everyone on this call i'm sure is super ambitious right everyone has uh, a, a career has a maybe people have a family you know and then they're trying to like change their body on top of that all of that stuff those, those are competing interests but um yeah i, I don't it, it's really difficult for me but yeah just like you said um you have to make sure that you cut it off at the right time. And I'm not saying like you have to be lazy or you like skirt responsibility. I'm not saying that, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really tough. I've been dealing with this for quite some time. I'm glad you brought that up. I, I would have totally forgot. And, and by the way, you win the day wearing a Team K shirt. So when I'll, nobody can, nobody can. Yeah, old school. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there are people who really struggle like, yeah, Joe, that sounds great. I wish I could freaking sleep and I just can't. And, and that is a big issue. So, so let's go through a couple of the things that can help. You know, obviously the first thing is, is caffeine consumption. You, you just may be somebody who's got to say, I just have to wash that out of my body for a long time and then be judicious if you use it at all. Uh, another thing is, is consistency. Like I said, I, like now I, I just, I make myself go to bed at nine o'clock. Like it's just going to happen. And, and you, you've got to get into those rhythms and that becomes your, your routine. Um, when you, you know, eat your meals that can, can create some stability. Uh, we could go through all of those things that I think you guys uh, would, would find kind of routine. Like yeah, I can, I can just envision this list on, on a doctor's brochure in an office, you know, like all the dumb things that you would already know, but you still can't do because it's just too difficult with life. But then, you know, meditatively mindset type stuff, I, I was struggling for a long time with some pretty deep anxiety. And I've mentioned this a few times where 
I would, you know, as soon as I would hit the bed, like, you know, my, my eyes are closing. I, I feel tired. I'm ready. And as soon as I close my eyes, like all of a sudden, all these feelings, you know, like I'm, all these thoughts are swirling around and six hours later, I'm still not sleeping. And, and I literally had to go through a process of learning some meditative techniques. And, and as I mentioned before, you know, we, when we're talking about neuroplasticity, it, it takes months and months and months and months. But I got to the point where I could, I could almost through self-hypnosis, put myself to sleep and just, just, I can do that. And uh, I've, my very first college elective when I was 18 years old was stress management. And so obviously even at 17 years old, this was a thought in my brain that I, I need to figure out a way to control my anxiety, you know, prone personality. So, so th that can be extremely helpful and I've seen it work, but you also, you can't meditatively do something like that if whatever in your life is causing that kind of stress is still there. So you may get a little bit better at controlling your thoughts around it, but if those stressors are still there, whether it's occupationally, relationally, or something else, financially, it's just, it's, it's you know, you're never going to be able to talk yourself out of that. And then finally, I would say, Besides something like Ambien, which is one of the worst drugs on the planet, you know, maybe there are some things that can help you like uh, a certain, you know, CBD oil supplement or, you know, different things like that. I, I, I have seen a couple. I mean, uh, even companies like Core make something called Z, which has zinc and some things like that. Uh, a lot of people will use uh, melatonin. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I've just, I, I've seen some of those over the counter things really work pretty well for people. But again, I think that's going to be just the, the, the little, you know, straw that breaks the camel's back that may get you to the other side. There may be some bigger issues there. Um, Justina said, you know, with, yeah, with, uh, with small children, you're just shit out of luck. Absolutely. Uh, when, when we had to watch my young grandson for a couple nights, it's like, wow, I, this you know, our youngest is 18 now. And so these years are well behind us. And I just remember like, that's just, you just deal with less sleep. And so, you know, finding, finding a way to get through that, Justina, but um, it, it, it could be, you know, just, just having some level of support, you know, a, a spouse or partner, you know, taking turns, uh, whatever it takes. But I, I will say that uh, hopefully that, that does decline, you know, pretty quickly. Any, any other thoughts or questions in general about the, the biochemistry or the actual functionality? Go ahead, Andrew. I'm not hearing you, Andrew. You don't look muted, but I can't hear you. You may have a mic. Input or output down. Nope, not, not going to happen. So while, while Andrew's maybe working on that, any, any, any other thoughts? Joe, when I had, uh, can you hear me? Okay. I do. I can. Um, I had, I have got, you know, a, a sleep apnea machine. Mm -hmm. And even, even when I got that machine, when I initially got that machine, things just weren't working out. Um, had all kind of stuff done. And a woman at one of those sleep studies, she said, I want you to try this. And I said, okay, whatever. And she gave me, they have these teddy bears that are called heartbeat bears. 
and mm. you can hear the heartbeat of the bear. It's for children. And I keep one with me all the time. It's one of the most amazing things I've ever tried. I mean, I mean, I know I hate to even say it out loud, but when you go by Walmart or one of those places, grab one of those heartbeat bears and just see how quickly that sound just soothes you. I am going to make fun of you for the rest of your life with that one. That's okay. That's okay. I mean, I got some stuff on you too, so we're good. <laughs> I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have said it if I didn't, but uh, I was, I, I, I mean, I had some problems. I mean, I got, I got hypnotized. Mm. Uh, at least they, they told me I got hypnotized. Uh, my work does, I, we do a lot of uh, overnight testing. So mm. there's a lot of times I'll be awake from 7 a.m all the way back to 7 a.m. and into 5 p.m. So it's more than a 24 hour, you know, it's, it's like, what, 34 hours up. And you think you would fall right asleep after that, but you don't. That's when you have, that's when I had the biggest problem was once I had passed like my sleep window, I couldn't fall asleep. I mean, it was, it, but there's a time when you kind of pass being sleepy. Yeah. But the heartbeat bear helps. (laughs) The heartbeat bear. I'm going to remember that. So another thing that came out just in the last couple of years were were weighted blankets. I don't know if you guys are aware of those. So you can get a blanket that I don't know what's in it, except that these blankets weigh like 30 pounds. And so, you know, when when you're under it, it feels compressive, like you're being hugged or something is, is kind of how they market it. But uh, my youngest daughter, who's kind of like me, you know, pretty, pretty anxious, uh, she got one and she said it is amazing. And she said, that's just like, she has to have that now to sleep. So uh, I, I, I think I'm going to get one of those just to, just to test that out. Mike, I, I like that. I, I do sleep really well when I'm in a, in a good mode. Um, but that, that's good to hear. The weighted blanket, the weighted blanket didn't do anything for me because I got real hot. Mm. Uh, you know, I got, I got real hot from the weighted blanket. So if you want to try mine, you're welcome to have that weight of blanket, but the heartbeat bear stays with me, bud. Yeah, you, you can have it. Your best friend. Um, so so that, that's a really good point, though, Mike, that some of us are going to encounter disrupted sleep just from time to time. It's not a, a chronic issue. And, and I will find that, uh, you know, I, I think as long as you have most of your oars in the water, you know, otherwise you can recover kind of quickly. So if I have to have a night, like when I came back from this trip a few weeks ago, you know, it was, it was a two hour turnaround. I, you know, late flight, delayed flight, didn't get in until a certain time, had to be at work a couple hours later. So I thought, wow, this is just going to be awful. I am going to feel like death. And of course, when that alarm rang two hours later, I did. But as soon as I got into the flow of the day, I felt like for some reason, because I've been getting seven and a half, eight hours of sleep every night up to that point, like it didn't really bother me. And then I was able to go to sleep that night and right back on track where sometimes if you're just inching deeper and deeper into chronic sleep, it's, it's almost impossible to catch up. Um, so that, that's good to know, Andrew. I, I didn't realize uh, that, that you, you had to use that a CPAP. Um, do you, now that you are, do you use that anymore, Andrew? If he's typing, Mike, are you still using yours at all? Oh yeah. I don't think I'll ever stop. I think I'd use it if I didn't need it. Okay. 
Yeah, I didn't know. Like, like so, Andrew, you said you couldn't hear me. Um, do you still use your CPAP or not now that you're you're leaner? Okay, you still do. Okay. I, I would think after, I mean, you, you personally, Andrew lost, you know, 120, 130 pounds. I, I wouldn't think that you would, would need it any, any longer. I would, I would think that's kind of distracting, but I've never had one. I don't know. I don't think I could sleep with something like that. Okay. Good, good to know. Good to know. Tiffany, are you jumping in? I saw you uh, bring on your video, jump on in. What do you know about circadian rhythm disorder? What do I know about them? Um, not much, be, you know, due to clinical experience. Maybe, maybe Kevin would have more to say, but uh, is it just purely biological? Like you've suffered with this forever and they can't figure it out? No, uh, the past, my coworker, I have a coworker on short-term disability and then my dad got diagnosed with pretty much everyone who I know that's worked swing shift for longer than like five years. They all end up with this. Gotcha. And so, I feel, <clears throat> I wonder if I'm getting to get out of it before I end up with it. Because exactly what Poe described, where you've been up for so long, you get so anxious, you don't sleep anymore. And I've had that happen. Like, I don't, you know, a hundred times. So I'm just wondering, like, like you mentioned biochemistry, whatnot. I was just wondering if you had any information on, can you catch it before it happens or something like that? <clears throat> well, I think I'm going to, I'm going to just go through some physiology and some of this is not going to be supported in any way by research, but um, yeah, I, I certainly have worked shift work in the past. When I was in the military, I would do shift work. I would be on nights for three months. Sometimes we would do rotating shift. And then I, when I was in college, my, my first year of full-time college, I was working two to three full-time jobs and going to school full-time. And I mean, I worked, I was a night stockman working 40 hours a week at night. And then I also worked 40 hours during the week, day shifts, four 10-hour days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And then I would go to school all day, Tuesday and Thursday. So I had Wednesday during the day to do all my homework. And so you talk about disrupted sleep. And uh, even when I wasn't doing that much, but I was just like working nights, you never feel your best. I mean, I remember thinking, oh, isn't this great? I'm off during the day when everybody else is working. I'm sitting here laying by the apartment pool. Like, this is amazing. I'll go in and work at night and but it just, you just always feel like shit. Um, and it just has to do with the circadian rhythm. I mean, literally you, there is no adjusting to that. And you're just, you're not a nocturnal animal. You know, you got hundreds of thousands of years of evolution to say that when the, you know, super chiasmatic nucleus and the hypothalamus is connecting to the retina and you've got that whole feedback loop between, you know, the pituitary gland and your, your endocrine system you just cannot knock that out just, you know, in, in one lifespan. But I would, I would think that what you're describing as a disorder is that your body's trying, you know, your body's trying to adjust. And now you don't know which way's up because you, you've certainly disrupted the normal circadian rhythm, but yet you can't do that completely biologically and so I, I guess you just end up in a, in a kind of a no man's land position where you're just not good at either. Um, and, I'm, and I'm sure that becomes a self-fulfilling physiological prophecy where, as I said, all of these negative things start to happen physically. 
and now you've just created the the shit storm biologically that is just going to keep rolling downhill. Yeah, my coworker that just got diagnosed with it, he totaled two cars because he drove and just fell asleep yeah. driving and then woke up in a guardrail. And, and it's really interesting to watch him because he's turning into like that movie momentum or like inception where like he doesn't remember. It's really interesting. And I, my memory is horrible now. Like I, I don't remember half the things I used to. It's so strange to me. Like I'm not nearly as sharp as I used to be. So I'm hoping that I can catch, I don't know, it sounds stupid, but I'm almost hoping that I can, I know you can't catch back up what you've lost, you've lost or what you've damaged, you damaged, but I'm hoping to like repair, maybe that's the word I'm searching for, um, that over the next X amount of years, get normal again. I, I would say so. normal is. Yeah. And I mean, you, you, yeah, you haven't been doing this for 30 or 40 years. Um, and so I, I would, I would hope that you'll be able to, to kind of catch back up. But I don't know. Like I said, it, it, I'm not. I'm not really going by much research here. Just, just kind of surmising what would happen biologically. Uh, Kevin, anything on that clinically that you know of? Not really. Tiff and I have actually spoken about it a few weeks ago, but it kind of a, stuck between a rock and a hard place when it comes to night shifts or uh, rotating between the two. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to, I'm going to jump into a couple questions here just through the chat box. Um, does age have anything to do with the need for sleep now that, uh, you know, just, as that changes? I, I think so. Um, you know, as you get older, absolutely. You know, you're going to, you're going to feel the need for sleep a little bit more, I think. Um, but at the same time, I think that's incredibly genetically derived anyway. Uh, for example, part of part of my personality is, is just chemically driven. And so like my youngest or like my oldest son, my oldest son, Cameron and my youngest daughter, we're all very similar in in every way you could describe us personality wise. And even when, well, first of all, let let me say this. What, when I was in utero, my mom would say, I just never sleep. She said, I was just literally like beating the shit out of her from the inside 24 hours a day. And then as soon as I was born, by the time I was six months old, I was already launching myself out of the crib. She would find, I couldn't even walk or crawl yet, but she would find me on the floor because I was somehow pulling myself out of the crib. And Cameron, my, my oldest son was that way. Like he would wake up at five in the morning every day as a newborn. And he just never required much sleep, hardly any naps, like a newborn and just had this normal pattern. Um, And I just find that I do pretty well on six and a half, seven hours of sleep. Now, go to my next child, my oldest daughter, she slept 23 hours a day for the first two or three months of her life. Like my, my wife, again, in utero, like she would actually poke her stomach to see, is this baby even still alive? Like this baby never moves. And at 25 years old, that's still her personality. You know, she needs eight, nine, 10 hours of sleep a night. She's not a super active person. And so a lot of that, Amanda, is just kind of driven by your genetics. But I, I would think just naturally, you know, as we get older, it does. Um, Andrew, you asked about uh, water retention. It's, it is interesting that if you wake up early, and you may kind of note this through dieting yourself, like if, if you wake up and you weigh yourself and then you go back to sleep for two hours and you weigh yourself again, you didn't go to the bathroom, you didn't eat or drink anything. 
your weight can be down substantially with just that extra little bit of sleep. And so, you know, I I think absolutely just due to the cortisol more than anything, you're going to see changes like that. Because number one, the glucose disposal, the, the lipid metabolism, all that is changing anyway. With higher cortisol levels, you're in this fight or flight mode constantly where you're synthesizing and releasing glucose in that fight or flight mode. So I think it would be incredibly hard to predict. Matter of fact, one of the things I tell my competitors, like the night before a show, the most important thing you can do to wake up for a contest looking your best is get a good night's sleep. Don't schedule your hair and makeup appointment for three in the morning. Don't stay up all night, you know, because you're nervous and anxious. I've even had clients take Valium and things like that if, if they're really anxious. I mean, I can't prescribe that, but if they have it, um, you know, because you, it's so important. Otherwise, you will wake up just super, super off 